Well, good morning. Mike told me that something special is going on at Whiting Christian Church. He said it's a, it's a charming little, India, a little uh, Iowa town of uh, Indiana. That's where my wife's from. It's a charming little Iowa town of about 700 people, and 200 of them are going to the church. And so something really special is going on here. And so I'm glad to come and see it in person, to see you all in person, and see why Mike says so many good things about you. Um, well, I brought my family with me, and I have teenagers so I'm not going to make them stand up because I'm afraid they might literally die of embarrassment if I made them stand up. But you can come and talk to them uh, after the service today. My daughter Hannah, my son Alex, and my daughter Emma are with us here today. And uh, my beautiful wife Laura is here as well. And I couldn't help but notice as I was looking at the Lookout magazine that there is a remarkable resemblance to her on page um, 11. Laura writes a monthly article for the Lookout magazine about missions, and so I hope that you'll take the time to check that out. I had to just put in a plug for her a little bit. I also found when I was looking at your literature back there that you all support Nathan Randall, missionary to Thailand, and Nathan was my roommate in college at Cincinnati Christian University, and so we have a number of good connections here. Um, my office is right across the hall from Mike's office, and let me tell you what. It is always a party over there. <laughs> I found out pretty quickly that Mike likes birthdays, and he especially likes his own birthday. <laughs> but as far as I can tell, every day is his birthday because there's always laughter going on over there, talking with students, crazy stuff going on. And uh, he is just a ball of energy and fun on that campus. He's also academically and intellectually one of the leaders on campus. He has some of the hardest classes anybody teaches on campus. He is uh, a, a really, really smart guy. And so I think you guys are blessed to have him as your minister. And uh, man, these are big shoes for me to fill. And, uh, you know, they're jogging shoes because he runs marathons and stuff too. So I, don't, I can't keep up with this guy. But I'm going to try my best today for you to bring you the word from Hosea chapter 14. So if you have your Bibles or your phones, uh, look up Hosea chapter 14. And uh, what we're going to find today in Hosea chapter 14 are three things. We're going to find, first of all, we stink. Second of all, God can deodorize us. And thirdly, please take a hint. Okay, so those are my three points. We stink. God can deodorize us, so please take a hint. Um, now, I brought, I, I, I intended to bring breath mints for everybody in the church. And I stopped at two different quick stops yesterday to buy all the breath mints I could find because I wasn't sure how many people would be coming to church. And then I left them all on my dining room table. <laughs> so we're going to have very fresh breath around my house for a long time. But I was going to give everybody a breath mint, and uh, I, I forgot to do that. So uh, before we get into the scripture this morning, let's first of all, could we all just admit that we stink? So could I just ask everybody to turn to the person next to you and say, Hi, I stink. Would you mind doing that? Okay. Now, if somebody just turned to you and said, Hi, I stink, then I want to ask you, if you agree with that statement, just to say amen. Okay. I didn't hear too many amens, so I guess... You don't stink. You're not sitting too close to me here. All right. So let's turn to Hosea chapter 14. 
And uh, we see that it says, starting in verse 1, Return, Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to Him, Forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses. We will never again say our gods to what our own hands have made. For in you, the fatherless find compassion. So why do I say that Hosea is telling us here we stink? What's stinky about this passage? Well, I'm reading from the NIV version, and you know that in many Bibles there are subject headings that break up the chapters, and you know that those subject headings are not part of the original Scripture. Those subject headings are not inspired. They're just given to us by the translators to help break up the Scripture into chunks so that we can see what the themes are in the opinion of the translators. So I can criticize that subject heading, and I'm not criticizing God or His Word. I'm criticizing the translators. And what my NIV subject heading says for this whole chapter is repentance to bring blessing. Repentance to bring blessing. Why does that stink? What's wrong with that? Repentance to bring blessing. Well... I think that uh, I, I feel uncomfortable with this subject heading because when we think of the idea of blessing, so often what we think of is that I want God to make me healthy. I want God to make me feel happy, to have happy feelings. If I'm blessed, that means my finances are all working out fine. I've got a good job. I've got a, a wife or a spouse or boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever your, your situation may be. Talk amongst yourselves. Um, whatever your situation may be, we think that God, when he blesses me, is going to bless me with life circumstances that almost make me the envy of all my neighbors and make me just feel good about my life. And uh, what I see instead in the scripture is that God's people don't usually have some kind of a life that everybody envies. I mean, you, you know yourself, you've been reading Hosea and you see that Hosea is sincerely trying to follow God and God tells him to go marry an unfaithful wife. And, and he has a, a very difficult life. And he has to name his children really terrible names that are prophetic names that talk about all the disaster that's coming on Israel. And everybody criticizes Hosea for this uh, really strange family situation that he has. I see that in the scripture, many of the prophets were persecuted because they brought unpopular messages. And Jesus himself said, the son of man has no place to lay his head. Jesus was a homeless guy wandering around from place to place with his disciples. Jesus and all of his disciples, except for one, uh, were martyred for the sake of the faith. And so what I see in the scripture is that it looks like when people follow Jesus, when people follow God, they're not always materially blessed. They're not always blessed with health and wealth and all kinds of good things that people of this world would want. And in fact, in the world today, I don't know if you realize this, but 60% of the Christians in the world today live in Asia, Africa, and Latin America. And those continents are some of the most war-torn, poverty-stricken, disease-stricken places in the world. And in those continents, Christians are often persecuted for their faith especially in Africa, the Middle East, and in South Asia. And so what I see, not only in Scripture, but in our own contemporary life, is that oftentimes being a follower of God does not guarantee that we're going to have what looks like a happy life to other people, or even what might feel like a happy life to us. 
That's not guaranteed in the scripture. And so I'm uncomfortable with a heading that says repentance to bring blessing unless we qualify. What do we mean by blessing? Now, later on in our lesson today, we're going to see, we're going to get some ideas of what that blessing might be. But I want to start us off by realizing the blessing is not necessarily going to be something material. It's not necessarily going to mean happy feelings. There's something else about God's blessing that we need to be aware of. Well, another thing that stinks in this passage is the messed up stuff Israel was doing. At the time of Hosea, the northern kingdom of Israel had been uh, through a long period of prosperity. They had extended their borders to the extent of the great King David in the past. They had restored their borders after losing a lot of territory. They, were, they had become economically prosperous, and they felt good about their economic life. But all of that was starting to decline. Country wasn't what it used to be. They remembered the good old days, and they wondered why the country is in decline. And they saw rising to the east the country of Assyria. Assyria is the country who God would later send Jonah to, to the city of Nineveh, to call upon them to repent because they were so wicked. Well, Israel sees the rise of Assyria. Assyria is becoming a threat. And so Israel is wondering, what should we do to protect ourselves from Assyria? And rather than turning to God in repentance and asking God to protect their nation, instead they start thinking about having an alliance with Assyria. They start trying to think of political and military ways to protect themselves instead of relying upon God. What's more, uh, we see that Israel also worshipped false gods. Uh, in, the, in verse 3, it says, We will never again say our gods do what our own hands have made. And so they are being called upon to repent for making false gods. Um, the economy of Israel had been doing well, even though the people were worshiping false gods. And so this is confusing to people. They were worshiping Baal, a fertility god, a god who was thought to bring rain and was thought to uh, rule the skies and a God who was also thought to give fertility. And in their temples to Baal, which they had all around the land of Israel, their high places, their shrines to Baal, they practiced prostitution. And so the priests would have prostitutes in the temple that they practiced uh, sexual immorality with in order to worship the god Baal. Now the Israelites were engaged in that kind of activity, and they saw their land prosper in the past. And so... In their minds, God, the God of Israel and Baal were the same God. And so they were quite literally committing adultery against the true God by worshiping a false God in sexual ways. And perhaps this is why God chose with Hosea to use the symbolism of him having an adulterous wife, a wife who became a prostitute. Perhaps God chose this symbolism specifically because Israel really was engaged in prostitution in their worship of a false god. Um, so um, is there anything stinky like that in our lives? Well, I, I can't help but think, especially in our current political climate, that a lot of times when I'm on social media and I see things that people post, I feel like so many people are, are in... Um, despair and hopelessness. And this comes on both sides of the political spectrum. That people feel like if my candidate doesn't get elected, it's going to be a disaster for the country. And so we've got to get a particular candidate in office. And it almost seems as if we feel like God can't work 
through uh, the opposite candidate than the one that we support. Um, when we see uh, the issue of terrorism around the world and we see military crises emerging from place to place, we do need to have a strong military and a strong response to these types of things. But I wonder sometimes if we don't think that our military is the answer to the question, is the answer to the problem. And uh, I'm not uh, thinking that any kind of human uh, military force can ever completely solve these problems. Doesn't the scripture say that the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world? And don't we have to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ? If there's ever going to be lasting peace, don't people as individuals and as societies have to be reconciled to God and to one another? And so true and lasting peace and reconciliation is only going to come through the gospel. And we're only going to be able to share the gospel with people as we pray for them, as we make relationships with them, and as we introduce them to the Lord. But I wonder sometimes if we aren't like Israel, that we want to put our faith in political leaders, we want to put our faith in military force and military power, and as necessary as those things are, we have to realize they're limited when compared to the awesome and mighty power of God and of His gospel of love and peace. Do we worship idols that our own hands have crafted? Maybe our idol is a spreadsheet or a checkbook where we try to protect ourselves by hoarding resources. Maybe our idol is pixels on a computer screen or a television where we use people as objects to satisfy our own passion. Could it be our greatest idol is the image we see in the mirror? That so much of what we do, perhaps everything that we do, is ultimately to serve ourselves and not so much to serve God. Um, yeah, I think that um, we stink. I think we really do stink. Now, this is a little bit of a tangent, but how many people have seen Gone with the Wind? Did you ever watch Gone with the Wind? You know Clark Gable? Okay, Clark Gable was the big heartthrob of the 1930s and 40s, early 1940s, I guess. And um, when ladies across the country watched Gone with the Wind, so many of them were so jealous of Vivian Lee because she got to kiss Clark Gable right on the lips. And that just looked like the best thing ever. Well, Vivian Lee later said she hated kissing Clark Gable and Gone with the Wind because he had bad breath. <laughs> Clark Gable had dentures. Those nice teeth, those are dentures. And he didn't brush them or clean them very often. And he also um, liked to eat onions. And he didn't always brush his teeth before those kissing scenes. And so Clark Gable looked good on the outside, uh, but there is a bad odor emanating from him when you got close to him. And I'm afraid that that's what Israel was like, and that's what we can be like. We might look good on the outside, but when we get close, we find out there's something that's not quite right. And people who get close to us can see beyond the Christian mask that we put up and can see there's something spiritually not quite right with us, and we're not quite as connected with God as we need to be. And so the passage urges Israel and us to turn to God with words of repentance. We, we change direction. We tell God we were wrong. We reject the things that we placed our hope in instead of God. We reject the idols in our life. And we tell the truth about God, that God is gracious and compassionate and we can trust him to forgive us and to receive us back. So we stink. What are we going to do about that? Secondly, we see that God deodorizes us. Um, so let's read uh, verses 4 through 8. And when I read verses 4 through 8, let's notice 
every place where God's going to do something to Israel and to us that makes us smell good. It says in verse 4, I will heal their waywardness and love them freely, for my anger has turned away from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. Ooh, does dew smell good in the morning on fresh cut grass? Okay, that's a stretch. It's just water. It doesn't have a smell. He will blossom like a lily. Do lilies smell good? Ladies in the front row told me that at least they don't smell bad. Okay, so lilies maybe have a light smell. Like a cedar of Lebanon. Cedar smell good, right? Cedar chest, Christmas tree. Okay. He will send down his roots. His young shoots will grow. His splendor will be like an olive tree. Do olives smell good? Okay, think of olives on a pizza. Now, do they smell good? Okay. His fragrance like a cedar of Lebanon. There's that Christmas tree again. People will dwell again in his shade. They will flourish like the grain. They will blossom like the vine. Blossom like the vine. What kind of vine? Hmm. What kind? Grapevine. Oh, I like that. Yes. Actually, that's pretty smart. I didn't even think of that. I was thinking of flowers on a vine. Grapevine, exactly, because it goes on to say Israel's fame will be like the wine of Lebanon. Wine is probably not permitted here. So think of grape juice of Lebanon, okay? You'll, you'll smell like the grape juice of Lebanon. It'll be awesome. Ephraim, what more have I to do with idols? I will answer him and care for him. I'm like a flourishing juniper. Your fruitfulness comes from me. Juniper, according to the internet, juniper can smell like pine, apples, or lemons. And juniper is, uh, has um, some healing properties to it. It was used in, as medicines. Uh, juniper trees can grow quite large. So a lot of good smelling stuff that God's going to do with us. So what's the point of all this stuff? First of all, I want to notice is that the prayer of repentance that we were just told to offer in my Bible, which is written in like uh, stanzas like poetry, uh, there were eight lines that we're supposed to say when we come to God. Israel's supposed to say when they come to God. That was eight lines worth of repentance. God's response is 18 lines long. And so I want to notice that whenever we come to God and bring something to Him, He is abundant in the grace that He gives us in return. And I think that that's, uh, I don't want to push that too much in this passage, but I see that God's response is abundantly more than what we bring to Him. And so if we come to Him with repentance, He will greatly forgive us and greatly welcome us and show incredible compassion to us. Next thing I see is that God's blessing is more and better than what we wanted. So Israel had been seeking an alliance with Assyria. Israel had been putting its faith in its war horses. And I'm picturing Israel then, if they had their plan, they would be restlessly wandering over the land, riding horses away from their families, having the smell of death and and destruction all around them. They would have been part of the Assyrian army, allied to them, going to war against other peoples. And what a miserable life that would be for them. Israel wanted to plunge into power, money, sex, and everything else the world had to offer. And in the end, those things would leave Israel miserable. And so what does God offer instead? God's blessing that is promised here is not military imagery. It's not some kind of material blessing. Instead, he's promising he will make Israel like a fragrant and useful plant. There's a couple of different kinds of plants that are described here. On the one hand, we have lilies and vines. 
And I think of these as very delicate plants, plants that are easily trampled, plants that don't seem very strong. But you know, when you step on flowers, you can smell the fragrance all the more, right? And I think that some of us in the kingdom of God are like those flowers that get stepped on and get trampled by the world, that get often hurt by the world. And yet, even as we are hurt by the world and by the circumstances of life, the fragrance of Christ comes out from us and people notice how well we can manage to handle the difficult situations of life. And we don't reject God just because the material blessings or the health might not be there. We're still faithful despite how we are crushed and pressed down. And others are attracted to God because of that resilience that we have. And we spring back and we bloom again, even though we've been crushed down. He also describes some trees. He describes cedars. He describes junipers. He describes olive trees. And these are all trees that are very useful. Cedars of Lebanon were enormous trees and still are to this day. Those trees could be used to build ships to travel around the Mediterranean Sea. The lumber from those trees were used to build the temple of God. And so they're tremendously useful trees that provide shelter to people. Olive trees are one of the main sources of food for the people of Israel. So they were fruitful and productive. And I've already mentioned that juniper trees provided berries. They were actually used for medicinal purposes. And so all of these trees are very valuable and very strong. It takes a long time for a tree to grow, to sink its roots down and to grow up tall and strong. And it weathers a lot of storms but it bears fruit and becomes more and more useful as its life goes on. And I think that many of us in the kingdom of God are like this as well. We've sunk our roots deep into God's word, and we have grown and we have become strong. And the older you get in the kingdom of God, the more useful you become, the more fruitful you are, the more you have to bless the kingdom with. Uh, So that's a wonderful thing about being a tree planted in the kingdom of God. Well, my last point is we need to take a hint. When somebody offers you a breath mint, like I was going to offer all of you, that's not just to be nice. That's a hint. You need this breath mint, right? And so in Hosea chapter 14, verse 9, it says, Who is wise? Let them realize these things. Who is discerning? Let them understand. The ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but the rebellious stumble in them. What does it mean to be wise? A wise person isn't just a smart person. A wise person doesn't have to really be smart at all. A wise person is a person who uses the knowledge that they have in the best possible way to get the best outcomes, to get righteous outcomes. And so in this chapter, God has shared with us through Hosea some very important information we need to remember and we need to understand about ourselves. We need to understand that we need something from God that we have a lack, that our sins have been our downfall. We need to understand that God will abundantly forgive us and bless us and make us fruitful in his kingdom if we will turn back to him. And having that knowledge in our heads needs to translate into actions in our lives. And if we do that, then we will find that the things this verse describes will be true of our lives as well. So I'd like to end just on a personal note to describe what that might look like in our lives. Perhaps many or most people in this room are already followers of Jesus. You've already made a commitment to Jesus. 
If there's someone here who has not made a commitment to Jesus, we certainly want to invite you to start taking this journey of repentance towards the Lord. And you're going to find that He's going to transform your life into something much different than it is right now, something that you will like a lot more than what you see in your life right now. But if you're a person who already is a follower after Jesus, you already have repented of your sins at some point in your life, and you are presently following Him, there are always still things that we need to repent for in our lives as we try to grow more and more like Jesus. In my own life, uh, I grew up in a family that didn't have very many financial resources. I saw a lot of arguments between my parents over finances, and so I became very worried from a young age about finances. And I decided when I was very small that when I grow up, I'm going to work hard, I'm going to get a good job, I'm going to save my money, and I'm going to become rich enough that I can take care of my family and my parents in their old age so that they can stop fighting because I'm going to take care of them. Now that all sounds nice and noble, and it's the kind of thing a child might think. But in fact, that was the root of a sin in my life in that I started to see myself almost as a Messiah figure that I am the one who's going to rescue my whole family from this financial issue that actually, truth be known, most people have that kind of financial issue. And so I was going to be the one to rescue my family from all of that. And so I proceeded throughout my life to work very hard in school and in every job that I had, trying always to, to get advancement in that and always thinking about how I could build my resume and how I could get a better job. I carried those feelings over into my marriage and throughout most of the early years of my marriage, I was uh, very difficult to live with for my poor wife and watching every penny and just trying to control all of that and trying to set us up financially in a good way. It was so frustrating because every time we get a little bit ahead, we get $200 ahead, then something would break on the car and I'd have to pay that $200 out. You know, it always seemed like there was something that came up to take the extra away as soon as, as we had it. You guys know what that's like. Well, Laura said something to me that made a lot of sense. I didn't like it, but it actually made a lot of sense. Uh, she said, maybe that money never was extra, but God knew we were going to need $200 to fix the car, and so he gave it to us in advance. And maybe we should be grateful that he gave it to us for the car repair before we needed it. And so that was a good shift in perspective for me. But in my life, uh, I reached a point where I realized this is creating so many problems for me, so much stress, so much worry. I need to let go of this. I need to give this to God. I need to have faith in Him. And I caused my wife so much stress over this as well. I decided the way to let go of this is to give all the finances to Laura. And I stopped worrying about it. And she was okay with that, which was really great. And so I stopped worrying about how much money we're getting and how much we're spending. It's just all for her to take care of. And so I kind of live in this, uh, I don't know, I call it like my little communist paradise where I don't deal with money. <laughs> she, she handles all the money and, I don't, and things just appear. Food appears, clean clothes appear, you know, things that we need just appear, guinea pig food. You know, it's just all there when we need it. And so that's, that's a pretty nice situation. But what I've learned is, that God continues to provide for us whether or not I worry about this stuff. He continues to provide what's needed, but not necessarily all that we might want. And so I've learned to let go of things that I might want and just be satisfied as he provides what we need. So I think that there's probably something like that in each one of our lives that we need to surrender to the Lord. And we're promised in this chapter of Hosea 
that God will abundantly bless us spiritually in His kingdom and help us bear spiritual fruit if we're willing to sacrifice those idols in our lives to Him. And so I want to encourage all of us uh, to do that. Um, let's, let's pray. And um, Heavenly Father, thank You so much for this church, this healthy congregation people who love one another and love you and are seeking to grow in their understanding of your word. Thank you for the message that you have shared with us today, Lord. And I pray that uh, if anything here was unclear, that your Holy Spirit would clarify it and help each person here to apply it appropriately in their lives. Uh, We ask you to watch over all the people in our community and the world who don't yet know you And we ask that they would receive a positive witness for Jesus Christ through the example that we set and the love that we show for them. And I pray that this church will continue to grow and flourish uh, as an outpost of your kingdom in this part of the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.